And I was meeting with Ian. Ian leads the Oak Grove Church in Norwich. And um, I, I just felt the Lord say to me, give Ian a slot at one of these um, uh, sessions. And I try to just kind of, you know, obey promptings, I feel. And uh, I think the thing that I want us to get from this session, I just want to sort of introduce where we're coming from in this, is um, it's partly to do with this whole thing of, of fathering. Not only have we been looking at this morning about us being fathered by God, but actually having a culture amongst us of producing spiritual children and just trying to get some equipping in that, some, some tools to that, some examples of that. And Ian is, I think, one of the, in my own kind of world, one of the, the, the best examples I know of someone who's very good at mentoring and coaching people. And it's not so much necessarily that the, the, the techniques that Ian's going to demonstrate for us today are necessarily something that we'll all use, although I think many of you will probably pick up because I think it's a very, very good tool that he's developed. But it's more the provocation to actually have an intentional strategy for training and mentoring and coaching and fathering and mothering people in God uh, that I want us to pick up. But also, as I was sharing yesterday about this desire in, in, in my heart that amongst us as leaders, we have a context where we're finding a personal oasis within the clusters and within our own relationships as leaders in different huddles of churches together where we can be accountable, where we can strengthen one another, uh, as well as having collaborative mission. And I, I just hope that uh, as we kind of listen to Ian, we'll be provoked on both levels about training other people, but also about just developing healthy, robust models of accountability within our own lives. As I said to you yesterday, I've been reading a little bit about Wesley's class system and just learning a little bit about the simplicity and the beauty in his generation of just something simple that he implemented that had massive effect. So kind of here where Ian's come from as an example, a provocation, and I, I just want to pray for him now that he'll, he'll leave a deposit with us today that we'll, that we'll be able to take from here and we'll find really helpful in, in the various churches and settings we find ourselves. So Father, I just thank you so much that you give so many different gifts into your church. You, you bless us and you grace us to help one another. And I, I thank you for Ian and Sue. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for the way that you've helped them to, to model uh, what it is to father and mother people through in God and, and shape and disciple and mentor people. And I pray, Father, that a deposit of your spirit will be left in our lives today that will enable us as we develop things in the future to find wineskins that really work for us, to, to enable us to really be intentional about training people, to be really intentional about accountability and speaking into each other's lives with love and tenderness and grace. So I pray, bless this session, Lord, make it really fruitful, and I pray for significant waves of impact that we as yet don't even understand from what we'll be doing now. I pray there will be real um, advance in discipleship for, as a result of this session, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's welcome in as he comes. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, when I was 19, I uh, left the church that my family had been in for four generations. I was the first person in four generations to lead the Salvation Army. My parents have nearly forgiven me. And uh, I moved to the church where Mike and Sue were, to the old Bethel, and it was literally 100 yards along the road. And uh, when you move to a new church from the Salvation Army, one of the biggest issues you have is what to wear. 
um, because I'd grown up wearing a uniform. And uh, so I went out and bought a three-piece suit, thinking that was what people wore at church. Well, they did if you were over 60. So I felt a real idiot on my first Sunday. And I remember sitting down, and Mike was sitting at the side of me, and it was the offering. And we had one of those um, holy bags with a handle either end. We've still got them at Oak Grove that we use. And uh, there was a dear old soul called Mr. Bell. And just as he, this was my first day at the Bethel, just as he passed the um, offering bag over to Mike, this huge lump of dribble slid out of the side of his mouth and landed on my hand. <laughs> and I thought, what do you do in, in that situation? And all I could see was Mike's body shaking with laughter <laughs> to the right of me. But I'm really thankful to God in my life for Reg Ullman, for Dorothy French, for Hallelujah Selden, for One-Eyed Jack, for Walter and Doris Long, for Pastor Malcolm Pierce, who I don't think I would be in ministry now, and for all these people, for John Breeze, who's a dear saint to Oak Grove, and I'm just grateful to God for all those mums and dads, Tom and Audrey Chipper, for those of you that know them at Islam, saints of God, that put me into to go for God. And we needed that when we began. We so desperately needed those that were going to encourage us to go on with God. The tragedy now is for the generation that's coming in, there is less mums and dads around than ever, and we desperately need to be those people. When I was going through my notes yesterday, I found this certificate. Salvation Army were very good at certificates. You got a certificate for breathing. <laughs> and... Uh, this certificate says that Ian Savory was dedicated to God and the Salvation War. And I want to say when it comes to discipleship, it's war. It is war in what we're trying to deal with. And the challenge of it is absolutely huge. It is absolutely huge. Sometimes... I look at the community that we're in and to the church at what we're in, and I thought, Father, I don't know where to start. The challenge of discipleship is huge because we are living in such a fractured society, and it's not just the underclass that are struggling. I have one phrase that people say to me, and if I'm honest, I'd just like to push it down their throats. And that's the phrase when they come to me and say, we need more teaching. Why is it some people have been listening to teaching for 30 years and they're still the same miserable so-and-so's? <laughs> 
we do have to ask the question about what's been fruitful, don't we? And, you know, um, we run a thing in our in Oak Grove twice a month on a Sunday night called Discipleship School. And that we did that because people asked for it. We want more teaching. The truth is, I think two of the people who asked for it have actually ever been. You know? How do you disciple, you know, the challenge of discipling a church? How do you disciple a church when on a Sunday morning we've got plenty of people with degrees, but they might be sitting next door to someone who can't read? You know? Um, five or six years ago, I was dedicating a child. As, as Oak Grove was one of those churches that had, was planted for a working class area 80 years ago, but became so middle class, it really had no contact with its community. And we fought hard for 13 years to get back. And I can honestly say if the church closed within two days, the community would notice because they're part of who we are. And, you know, but the gap there is so huge. And when you have, you know, the average reading age for Norfolk is an eight, nine-year-old. That's the average reading age for Norfolk. And when I first came to Norfolk in the late 80s, you used to see this little thing on school reports called NFN. Anybody know what it means for? It means normal for Norfolk. It basically means they're thick. You know, but when you have a generation that grows up with that, and when you have... Um, it's nationally recognised that children from our county are low achievers, have low aspirations. Um, I've just had an invitation two days ago to go and speak to the Royal Society of Arts at UEA. This one's going to be interesting because they believe we've got the answer to changing aspirations in kids' lives. That's interesting, isn't it? But those are huge challenges. One of the things that I think goes over all our kind of class box is consumerism. Gimme, 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 gimme. Whereas I'm grateful for my upbringing that said, if you're a Christian who doesn't get off your backside, you're not much of a Christian. You know, because I think actually we learn by doing a lot of the time. Um, yeah, you have the consumerism, more books, more books, more books. I'll go to that seminar. You know, we used to... I, you know, we've got a lovely couple at church, lovely couple, but I think they go to every conference in the world. <laughs> you know? But I've never seen them once turn up at something we're serving our community for. That worries me. What's going on? And it becomes me, 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 me. Benefit culture is a huge thing where we are. You see, I, I believe if someone is, an, you know, we've, we've got families of three generations who've been on benefits, that takes on a spiritual life of its own. I don't have a theological theology for that, I'm sorry. I haven't figured it out yet. But there is a spiritual side to it that people need delivering from. 
that that's what, how they're going to live their lives. They're going to live their lives on benefits and their attitude is they are owed something. Whereas one of the things we try to do is bring them into a, a kingdom perspective that says, if God loves you, you have a responsibility to do something. Uh, we have an amazing lady in the church that takes teams to Tanzania twice a year. And it's been very interesting how some of the people who are on benefits who've gone to Tanzania, and we make them raise the money, we don't give them many handouts, um, what the different perspective that's brought to their lives when they've seen someone who really has nothing. And I think those are huge challenges to us from the benefit culture to a more middle-class culture. You know, and I don't want to build a church that's full of pew fodder. You know, where they're just there because they want to be. Have you ever... I had somebody write to me five years ago to say, we're leaving Oak Grove Chapel because you no longer fulfil our needs. <laughs> do you know, I know people think that, but do you think somebody would have the audacity to actually write it? You know, and I remember on a membership course so seven or eight years ago, this young couple were coming through and they said, oh, we, we just need to be. And sometimes people, like we've had a family arrive recently from a big city who have been through a terrible church split and they they do need to just rest and be and get whole but actually some people make a profession of it you know they they live on the back view and actually sometimes our worst needs are met when we're washing the crap off someone's feet and we serve and I think those are the challenges for us. I've been hugely blessed in my life by Willow Creek and its ministry, but they acknowledge that 70% of the books plus that they sell at their conferences are never read. Isn't that that's amazing, isn't it? Not a right sort of amazing. But it's true. You know, how do you disciple a church like that? What are the key issues? And one of the things I'd practically challenge, because it is different for all of us, is to say, what are the key issues of discipleship? Have that discussion amongst your leaders. You know, what are the key issues of discipleship we need to address? Maybe hit two or three of them. What are they that we really need that our people are weak in and that we really need to see them pushing forward? You know, We've got some lovely families in church who love Jesus, but they wouldn't think twice about ripping City Hall off of their council tax. You know? Um, I know some lovely families where we've got, you know, the husband in church, wife not, and they've got the best selection of ripped-off DVDs you could ever imagine. You know, we always have the films available to us before they get to the cinema. You know, how do you disciple in that? As the church has become more and more part of the community, the community comes for us for things like weddings and funerals. So we do about 12 community funerals a year. And I remember five or six years ago, the undertaker rang me up and he said, they haven't let me add any stuff or DVDs 
you know, and it's anything goes at a funeral these days. You know, I've I've pressed the button to smoke gets in your eyes, you know, and uh, you know, uh, or like a bat out of hell, you know, anything goes. And uh, so I had to go round to this uh, grieving mother who I'd buried three of her children in the last four years, and said, look, if you don't let me have the DVDs and the CDs by the end of the day, I'm not doing it. Because sometimes they think that's the only thing I'm doing that day. And sometimes you have to set very clear parameters. My wife manages our charity shop, which is an amazing ministry, but she does have to be teacher a lot of the time to our volunteers, particularly if they come from what I call the cat and chaos factor. So these are all challenges. But this, you know, I said to this lady, why haven't you let me had have the music for the funeral? And then she said, well, Julie doesn't like the last song we've chosen. And I'm thinking, Julie's the person who's dead. And I'm thinking, hang up, I've missed something here. And then the penny dropped. They had had a medium into the house and consulted them on what music and stuff they were to use and I was leading what the medium had recommended. Now we never covered that at Bible College. <laughs> so what are the challenges? Well, nearly four years ago I was sitting trying to do some discipleship with a lad in a pub. And to be honest, I'd reached a point where I just wasn't getting through and I thought I wanted to kill him, really. <laughs> and um, I started playing and writing on beer mats. And then I read some articles from Stuff from You for Christ years ago that basically said there are four activities in the Christian life. There's fellowship, prayer, the Bible, and witness. And I looked at those things and I thought, cool, Lord, if it was just that simple. And I really felt God the Father say, it is. It's just you that's complicated it. So we trialled something over Lent that year, because we do festivals quite big. Basically, any excuse for a party and food will do it. So we do Lent, big Lent teaching series and a big Easter celebration. And we got people using these beer mats. I'd piloted them with a bunch of 18 to 25-year-olds. And we're on a bit of a journey. This is just an idea. It's not a technique. I'm not that bright. All right, this is just a very simple idea. And if you grab it and think it's the answer, you've lost it. It's just something you can use. And we're adding to this all the time. So the idea is when you meet, and we at the moment we have five or six men's beer mat groups and about four women's beer mat groups. Now, my wife oversees the female leaders 
BMAT group. And I think these are good because it makes men talk about something. My wife tells me it's good because the ladies have only got four things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry it sticks too up on that. So, you know. But what you do um, is you have to lay the cards on the table. And if we put that shot up, um, we've got the picture. You just lay the cards. Top is what you're doing well at. And the bottom is what you're not doing so well at. So um, the good thing about this is you're always achieving in something and you're always struggling in something. Now, that's life. Yeah? Uh, if they level in a line, you're normally dead. <laughs> All right? Um, and what you would do um, is... Let's see. Where is... Um, come do... Marcus, come do this for us. Grab a stool, mate. So we're in a pub, because that's where a lot of the men's groups work. And uh, he gets his cards out. I've lost the joker, but that's life. Never mind. Someone find me a joker. Um, so, Marcus, you wanna, you're in your beer mat group. It's your turn to do your cards. You put them in an order. Stuff I'm OK with. Well, what you're doing well is, what you're doing well at is over here. What's not going so well is down here. Bibles at the top, fellowship, witness. It's all right, they're bringing me a proper one. <laughs> Sue, have you got it? Yeah. Um, so what we've got here, prayer, Bibles at the top, prayer and fellowship the level, then witnesses at the bottom. All right, the person... Sorry, you don't know that. <laughs> the person, in the, the leader in the group, and as in anything, the leader's key to this. And one of the, the side products we're seeing is it's really teaching my leaders to hear God and to listen to what people are saying. All right, but you would give a little resume. Uh, can I put you on the spot? Yeah. What's God saying to you through Scripture at the moment? Uh, the last thing that really spoke to me was um, I'm going through the Bible in a year and we've got to Abraham sacrificing his son and I thought, or almost sacrificing his son, and I thought, um, wow, God is sovereign. He, he knew that, what was going to happen right at, the, right at the start. And obviously I knew that story, um, but that's what really got impressed upon me when I read it. Wow, it's a spine-tingling story. Okay. Um, just showing me that he knew right there at the beginning when no one could possibly have written it in or doctored it, that he knew what he was doing, he had a plan. So that would be the last So, so that might take a discussion... That kicks up. You might look at a Bible passage on it or whatever. Um, do you mind saying why witnesses at the bottom? Um, mainly because I don't really uh, get much uh, opportunity or prioritise it particularly, I mm. guess. So it's not um, something I'd love to, to see more fruit in and do more of, but I'm aware that is not a strength. Okay. You see, now, the interesting thing we've found is 90% of people put witness at the bottom and it's generally even 
when we think we're really good churches, they still haven't understood what witness is. I remember my wife telling me one of the female leaders that day had served um, a meal to about 22 uh, people from the prostitute community in the city, spent time chatting with them. When she did her beer match, she put witness at the bottom. She hadn't grasped that was witness. All right, so you do that. The interesting thing we found is if witness moves up, the others all spring into life. Because if I'm talking to, the pe- to people about the Lord, I'm more accountable to others in fellowship on what's happening. I'm going to God more because I'm cacking myself about it <laughs> and I need help. And I'm looking into the scriptures for answers. Okay? So thanks, Marcus. That's very helpful. Huh? That's it. That'll do. That'll do. That'll do. That was just a briefie. Actually, when we, we do this for fellowships, and I normally take a bunch of the guys with me, and then they, they go um, through it and do a full mock session. So this is what we call the bread and butter. The truth is you ain't going to grow in your Christian life unless you invest in those four things. Is that fair? All right. And why don't we just start being honest with people? It ain't going to happen. You know, let's start being honest about those things. Let's start being honest that a lot of our people don't read this book. Do you know, I've seen more people start reading it since they started admitted they don't. And particularly with some of the men, I had one guy, he's, a, he's an executive in a company in the city, and he admitted, and he kind of covered his head in shame, I'm sorry, I don't read my Bible. And nearly every other guy in the group said, I don't either. So how many, my nan had a promise box. This is going back years. Do you remember? They looked like boxes of chocolates. And every afternoon... Just after Emma Dale had finished, she'd get the tweezers out and she'd get one of the little scrolls of paper out and on it would be a Bible verse and that would be her Bible verse for the day that she would try and think about. I don't think she ever read her Bible till the Good News Bible came out because she couldn't understand it. And I started going and buying the modern versions of promise boxes. This is really old-fashioned. And I agreed with these guys that they would read one verse a day. Now, that sounds pathetic, but actually it's better than nothing. Let's just be really honest where our people are. And within a few weeks, they were flying. But someone had to say, I'm not doing it. So... You know, prayer, how do we pray? I pray best when I'm walking, and particularly when I have a black Labrador by my side who's called Archie, but he thinks he's called Lord. (laughs) You know, what works best for you when it comes to prayer? 
just be very practical because why is it we think people are all going to do it the same way? Why is it, do you know, my prayer life really kicked off, been totally, it kicked off after I started praying with a friend five mornings a week. You know, God is Trinity, is he not? And he don't like doing much on his own. So why do we think it's always best to pray on our own all the time? I, I, you know, I just have queries about that. You know, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, they get together. They are the best prayer triplet in the world. You know, you can just hear them, can't you? Going together. Actually, I prayed for five years for the kids in our city from Monday to Friday. And I did it not because I had a real urgency from God, but because I had the keys to the building we prayed in. And if I wasn't there, he'd be out in the cold. But God got us there. And he did the rest. So why not get them doing practical things? People leave church a long time before they leave church, don't they? You've heard of that? You know, what, what are the real elements of fellowship? You know, you've got the kind of celebration, uh, congregation, cell kind of concept. But I'd say there's the Peter, James and John element where there's real personal intimacy. I think it's really hard to get guys being honest with each other. And the breakthrough that we've seen in some of that is I, I'm actually in two big. I'm in the f first group. The, the first group I started has now kind of morphed three times. And it's a bunch of young lads, but they let me go as the, the old folk there, you know. And I just love being with them because they lay into me something terrible, you know. And then I've got another group that I'm in, and there's just four of us. And I very rarely go out and think, oh, praise you, Lord, it's beer mats tonight. I don't want to go. I don't want to go out in the evenings these days, if I'm honest. But I never come home not thinking, that was so good to meet with my brothers. You know, so fellowship, what are the key things? And I think when people start being honest with each other, there's breakthrough. We have to keep working on the witness thing. You know, we've, we've pushed witness really hard. We've gone down the mission community model and we've nicked stuff from an Anglican Baptist house church in Sheffield. That's an interesting combination, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I just love it. We've got a lady in our church, her husband died a few years ago, and she's in one of our mission communities that serves uh, through the food bank. I have never seen her so alive. Why? Because she's putting her faith on the line. Yeah? So when we start these, we always do a report of how we're doing, and the leader's role is to keep it moving. Nobody has more than about 15 minutes. Or maybe the leader thinks, right, we're going to scrap the whole evening and we're going to start, we're going to pray about that. So leadership's really important. The next thing is the question mark. Now, this is the culture card. Our culture is full of issues, yeah? We have the highest in Europe um, 
drink problems, Melton health, mental health issues. That is a big one and it's growing fast. Teenage pregnancy, eating disorders, whatever it is. I remember three years ago there was a program looking at a city in France and how people handle drink. And it was a lovely program, people, families having meals together, no problems on the streets. And then they said, right, and now we're going to look at a city in England of a similar size. And suddenly on the screen came Prince of Wales Road in Norwich. And it was carnage. You know, what are the issues going on and all those different things? Well, once I've reported on the basics, I then ask, what are the issues going on in my life? So you put the question mark down. And depending on how honest the group is, that gets really risky. Porn is a huge one for the guys. Absolutely. And um, I can guarantee, but they figured out in one of the groups I was in that porn was worse at the weekend. So on a Saturday night, um, there's texts go around one of my beer mat groups and it says, what are you doing? I'm going to ask you in the morning. Because that's how they help each other. You know, they're, they're accountable to each other. Relationships, huge issue. A lot of these guys wanted to go out with non-Christians. When I led Youth for Christ, that was a total no-no. It seems to be with some people an open issue now, and that, that does concern me. You know, but there was this guy in our group. Um, he's now a missionary in... Um, uh, China is coming back next week. He's getting married, and uh, but he got this fancy this socks off a Chinese girl from UEA at this time, and he said, "I really want to ask her out. She, I've really got the hots for her." So one of the guys said to her, "Okay, if you go out with her, what does the Bible say about that?" What's that going to do to your fellowship with us? When we know you've given your heart to someone who doesn't love the Lord. What's that going to say to your witness to all your friends with everything you've said? What's that going to do with your intimacy with God? So you relate the issues back to the actual activities. The interesting thing that we find, though, is as more and more do reports on the basics, by the time we get to the issues, they've got the answers they wanted because they're feeding on what God wanted them to feed on. So, like I say, that's how we do it. And then the sixth card is this, the joker. And we throw the joker in and we say, out of your issues, is there a joker amongst them? And what we mean by that is this. Is there something that Satan's trying to distract you? I, I get shocked at sometimes how believers think everything in their lives is from God. And they don't ask the question where that comes from. So the joker asks the question, 
what's going on in my life with these issues. Because sometimes there may be a couple of things that's bad here, but the evil one has really hooked us into a particular issue and we may need help. The spin-offs of this um, has been personal accountability. We're gradually rolling it out that you can't be in a leadership position unless you're in a BMAC group. Some people don't like that. Tough. Because if I know a leader is opening up about themselves and seeking to grow in their Christian lives, that gives me 100% more, conf more confidence in their leadership. Is that true? And uh, so I gather the male um, leaders every other month and we generally just report on how our groups are doing. There's always a group that's struggling and it's generally down to a leader struggling to ask the right questions. <coughs> and we will try and help that leader with the issues. But a lot of the time we do stuff ourselves that builds that accountability because it's so important. And uh, we've got a, a young guy who came to us as a new Christian, just saved, lovely, fantastic couple, four kids, and um, they got married last August. We had a great celebration when they all got married and everything, just tidied it up, you know. And uh, it was great because they came to us and said, look, we know we haven't done this right, but could you help us put it right? Doesn't that say that the Holy Spirit's doing something? Nobody had to tell them. And uh, it, just a lovely, lovely family. And, um, you know, he was in our leaders group recently. And when it got to his testimony, his whole testimony was this. I'm covered. That's quite a testimony. What he was talking about was... I'm safe and secure because my brothers are covering my back. And I think that's a good place for us to be. This is just an idea. Um, I mentioned Sheffield. They, uh, Mike mentioned the Wesley questions. Well, we've nicked them. And the idea with this is we're developing this as what we call a discipleship toolkit. So not all the beer mat groups will keep to beer mats every session. Most of them meet about once a month. Sometimes they'll do the Wesley questions. There's a, a set on character. There's also a set on skills, which are particularly good for leaders. Um, my leadership team met for the first time last week since Christmas. And uh, there was a whole, I thought I'll be a good example. I wish I'd kept my mouth shut. And... Um, there was a question about trust in the Holy Spirit. And it was all about, do I recognise, do I trust people after getting kicked in the teeth for a lot of the times? And I said, I'm struggling with that. So I thought I'd do my bit for 20 minutes and then someone else would take over. And my leaders said, hang on a minute. You're not getting away with that. They spent the rest of the evening praying for me. You know, and don't we all need that? You know, so this is just a basic idea. Um, 
We do sell them. You can get them from the back there because um, the money goes to our community work. But it's all about building um, a stronger church. We also, in these groups, use the circle. Have anybody seen Mike Breen's Life Shapes? Um, really worth looking at. We put these in with the beer mat. So Mike Breen talks about that there's Kronos time, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, and there's Kairos time when God breaks in, a Kairos moment. And we have those on our lives. Those can be good. Those can be bad things. Um, it can be someone dying. It can be a really happy moment. But they could be Kairos moments when God breaks in and we need to pause. So this is how we do it. The first step would be within the BMAC group. If someone says like um, my mother-in-law uh, died just over a year ago, and I was with a group of senior pastors, and I decided I was going to talk that through with them. And they took me round the circle, just in a matter of 20 minutes. Observe what happened. Reflect on it. What effect has that had on our family and the people I love? Discuss it. Talk it with the group. Then you come into the next part, which is believe. Plan, what am I going to do about it? Account, that's the key factor. Who will I be accountable to? Because if we're not, we'll never put it into action. Who's going to ask me how I'm getting on? And then the next phase is act. So we use all those things because we want to build up this toolkit of where people can build living relationships. Um, it's actually, there's now BMAC groups in Taiwan, the Isle of Wight, um, Goulston, Norwich, Cambridge, Scotland and Manchester. And they've just kind of, it's just a silly little idea, really. But um, I was privileged, and I'll just kind of close with this. I was privileged, well, actually, I don't know if I was, but I went to Bible college for two years. And if I'm honest, it's still the part of my life where I figure out what God was trying to do in that time. But one of the biggest privileges in that time was I had a guy called John Hosier for nearly four hours a week to go through the New Testament. And you all know John, most of you do, I think. And I loved listening to him. The notes I took in that time, I must have rewritten four or five times. And, um, but you could sidetrack John quite easily. <laughs> so particularly if you were talking about the kingdom of God. So if we didn't want to do the passage he thought we should do, <laughs> we'd plant people around the room to ask him different questions to get him sidetracked. But in our very last session, one of the guys said, John, if you could say one thing to us for our future ministries, what would it be? He said, bring people to an understanding of these three words and you'll change the world. And he wrote, in Christ Jesus. Is that true? When the people of God really know who they are in Christ, they fly. Yeah? And I love it when I see someone, a disciple, grab hold of who they are in Christ and fly. 
I found a quote from John Bunyan. Listen to this. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor wings. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly. It gives me wings. <laughs> so this is just about getting people to fly, really, in their discipleship. And if it's any use, I hope it blesses you. <laughs>